Everybody, welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast. You haven't seen this one before. This is my 1998 Takamini. This is a custom uh, guitar. 120 of 250 made. And uh, I got it at Rudy's in New York City after I worked on the reunion tour. The Bruce Springsteen leg of the reunion tour that they filmed at Madison Square Garden. And the great Nils Lofgren plays a Koa Takamini, so I had to have one myself, and that's the one I got. It's a beautiful guitar. I used to write a lot of songs on it in the late 90s. Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a minute. This is episode 98, so we're getting up there. There's been some crazy news recently. We'll we'll start off light today because <laughs> it's a crazy day, right? Elon Musk is going to be in the news a lot tonight. He blew up a rocket today, and he blew up Twitter because he took away everybody's blue checks he even took away blue checks from people that were paying for them because <laughs> i know some friends of mine on there weren't legitimately sort of verified they paid for it you know because they have big twitter hustles and he even took their blue checks away so it's going to cause some chaos you'll get even more people coming to substack substack is where i'm at these days as many of you know i stopped putting my content on twitter last week i saw this coming who didn't you know but i just couldn't stomach it anymore and i couldn't contribute to making that site any more popular not that i'm all that but you know i put my heart and soul and and my sense of humor and uh you know whatever i'm feeling in the moment into my tweets and after a while i was like why am i doing this you know this guy's a scumbag and he's making life more dangerous for everybody and you know a lot a lot of people will think well otherwise he wins if you leave like twitter is a pretty small percentage of, of the american population you know it, it was a great way to share information during the pandemic and sort of during the trump years but when you leave you realize how kind of nominal it is and there's other ways to communicate and we're clearly going to have to find them because continuing to use it and reward that guy for that kind of behavior isn't something I can stomach. He made um, trans issues more dangerous for trans folks in the trans community last week. He took away, or it was just this week, he took away a safety feature where you could report people for dead naming and, and those sites would be suspended. That's now been removed. A anybody who's making life harder for marginal marginalized communities you know, and progressive folks and anybody who has a good heart because they think it's funny to be a snark bro, you know, those kind of people are the enemy because they're nefarious, right? He's a billionaire. That guy could be doing a lot of good in the world and all he's doing is ego-based chaos, right? And, and he's also getting off on the sort of fanboy aspect. These people are narcissists, you know, Trump's a narcissist. He wants everybody talking about him. So Elon Musk is cut from the same cloth, as is MTG, who's not a billionaire, but the same type of sort of like, you know, shameless scumbaggery that we see displayed constantly on the GOP, you know, in the GOP and in MAGA and in this sort of right wing media, which I consider Twitter now, because that was Elon's intent. You know, he was trying to stop the. Uh, he, he mainly wanted to stop people talking about the atrocities that Putin was committing in Ukraine. That was the number one reason to buy Twitter, because, you know, Putin was on his heels last summer over the fall. He knew he was going to have another push. And he he knew that, you know, the ground he had lost, there was going to be like clues to their war crimes and that, you know, sort of Ukrainian forces and international observers were going to become more and more aware of these atrocities. And the easiest way to spread that information was on Twitter. So, you know, that that was rule number one, which should be, you know, reason enough 
to not support the site. And the rest of it was just Elon sort of breaking the progressive you know, communications infrastructure, right? Because he's a billionaire. He doesn't want to pay taxes. He doesn't want environmental regulations. You know, the guy is not an environmentalist. Look up Boca Chica and what he does down there, where he launched his rocket from today. You know, that's horrible for the environment, for one dude's ego, okay? We don't really need to be going to the moon or Mars right now. We need to feed people on this planet and protect it and stop it from overheating at the moment. We can play space games later on. You know, I'm not saying all exploration is bad. A friend of mine, Garrett Reisman, works at SpaceX and probably had a lot to do with today and was on the space station more than any other American astronaut, you know? So like I I'm into NASA, you know, what's left of it. And I'm into SpaceX exploration, but it's it, it's not the private sector playground of billionaires, or at least it shouldn't be. And that's what it's become. So, you know, I, I don't want to rant on that too much, but it, it, it's bad when Bezos does it. It's bad when, you know, the virgin dude does it, in my opinion, and it's bad when Musk does it. You know, if any child is going to sleep hungry in this world tonight, then you don't need to be building a rocket ship. First things first. Okay. Enough said. So that's the chaos, right? That's where we're at. It's been a couple of weeks. Honestly, I didn't do one the week of the Covington, or not Covington, uh, Nashville, you know, the shooting in Nashville at the elementary school. I didn't do one that week because I, I couldn't gather my thoughts. It's so heartbreaking to me. And I've covered it so many times as long as I've been doing this podcast, which was two years ago last month was our anniversary. I can't tell you how many shootings I've come on here and talked about. And, you know, in a year ago, almost coming up on the anniversary of Uvalde, you know, and then the 4th of July. And now this, you know, Nashville, Kentucky, you know, Louisville. And then we had what we saw over the weekend, you know, and I wrote a sub stack that came out the other day and it was since corroborated because Don Lemon did an interview with the guy's grandson. But the, that six, 84-year-old racist dude, right, in Kansas City who shot a beautiful young black child who came and knocked on his door for directions because he was, you know, picking up his siblings. So he shot through the glass of his door and then chased the kid outside and shot him again in the head. And the kid had to go knock on three doors before anybody would help him. And the third house made him lay down and put his hands up because it's a community, a mostly white community in the Midwest that's fed poison, that's fed racial intolerance from Fox News, that's fed a narrative that you know minorities are coming to hurt you, they're coming to invade your home. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? But the NRA is selling weapons on these lies, right? They had their convention there a couple of days later or in Indianapolis, right? You know, hop, skip and a jump over. They had a convention. You know, where they got little white kids picking up guns and pointing them at each other like it's cute, pointing them at cameramen. I'm sure you saw those pictures, right? They're selling fear to these racist, mediocre minded, probably innately racist because we haven't we haven't gotten you know straight with ourselves as a country in our in our history of racism yet, which is one of our original sins. It is our original sin, you know, that and the genocide of Native Americans. We, we haven't reckoned with that. As I've said before on this podcast, you know, we haven't done a fourth step. So there's a lot of character defects in our national character. Right. And we were fed a myth for a long time about how great we were. You know, we were this shining beacon on the hill of democracy and every man is cre created equal. And we all get a fair shot at life as long as we were willing to work hard and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Nothing could be further from the truth. OK, there were. <laughs> there was rather an infrastructure in place that allowed people to do that. Most of it was put in by Democrats, namely FDR, you know, after the Great Depression and the New Deal and things that created like the GI Bill, you know, which helped create the middle class. When these guys came back from World War II, they could go to college, they could better themselves, they could get a better job. You know, they'd go work in factories and they'd go work at companies where they got pensions, where the CEO wasn't getting 4,000 times more than his lowest paid employee, where it was kind of fair, 
because it hadn't been fair before that in the industrial revolution and the turn of the century and the roaring 20s, you know, when these sort of capitalists, you know, industrialists would do all they could to exploit their workers, but then they'd, you know, they'd build a nice limestone library in the center of town and call it even, right? We needed more than that, right? If we were gonna have a real like equitable recovery and really strengthen ourselves as a country. And we did that after World War II, you know? And, and we built one of the great sort of like, capitalist industrial engines that that history had ever known. And it was working great for a while. And then Reagan came in and slightly before Reagan, you know, some people on Wall Street were like, hey, you know, what, what if we do like, you know, like limited public offerings? What, what if we figure out a way to like, you know, create financial instruments where we can borrow money, buy a company, gut that company, you know, write off the interest on the original loan and then keep the profits for ourselves and not have to worry about all the employees that are now gone in that shuttered factory, right? Once that stuff, you know, what what was 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 figured out, it was all bets, you know, all bets were off. Reagan came in and he deregulated the deregulated the financial industry, you know, and it was over. It was over. And, and and now it's way over because that led to the creation of these billionaires who had such outsized wealth that nobody could even get close to them. And they could buy judges and they could buy politicians and they could buy presidents. Right. We saw that with Clarence Thomas. And Harlan Crow. Harlan Crow is a billionaire who inherited his money, right? So capital gains, tax, you know, inheritance, taxes, all the things that the Republicans have been working to sort of eliminate and deregulate. Here's a guy who benefited from his whole life. And he amasses such a fortune that he wants to go buy a judge, right? And who does he buy? Clarence Thomas, the cheapest one for sale, right? Because he was corrupt going in. Not that he's the only corrupt one, right? But you knew he was corrupt at his confirmation hearing. I worked in D.C. in those days. You know, everybody believed Anita Hill. There was nobody who believed Clarence Thomas. I used to deliver packages to the EEOC. He was the chairman of that, you know, before he was confirmed as a, as a SCOTUS judge. I didn't know him, but <laughs> I knew a lot of bureaucrats and I could read the room. And there wasn't anybody who worked in D.C. who didn't believe that guy was a scumbag going into the situation. Right. And it was cynical as hell, you know, and, and Bush 41 knew it was cynical as hell. And the Heritage Foundation knew it was cynical. And Ginny Thomas and his wife, you know, Jimmy Tom, Ginny Thomas, his wife and Harlan Crow founded the very first pact essentially after that, you know, after he was, you know, confirmed as a judge before he ruled on Citizens United, they were ready to go. And once the Citizens United ruling came down, all bets were off. You could have unlimited amounts of money going into politics, going into campaigns of people. And, and that put everybody up for sale. And it also happened to coincide with all these vast, you know, sums of money that were coming out of the former Soviet Union, right? All these oligarchs were trying to get all this cash that they'd pilfered off of the people because they were the one guy, you know, in charge of the oil industry or, you know, whatever, mining minerals, you know, aluminum, all these guys had all this cash they needed to get out of there and they needed to go shopping. You know, the girlfriend and the wife and the kids could only spend so much in Monaco, you know, and Fifth Avenue. After a while, you need some solid investments. And Washington was where they went to invest that money. And they started buying people up. And guys like Paul Manafort and Roger Stone were middlemen for that. In New York, on the financial end, it was guys like Felix Sater, Michael Cohen later on you know, helping helping the Russians bury their cash firmly in America. That's what Trump did. That's what Trump Tower was, as I've told you a million times, cash transactions through LLCs, right? No questions asked, buy an apartment. I don't care where you got the money. I just want the money. Greed, the greed economy has turned into what we have now, a new gilded age where, where you know, a billionaire from Texas can spend a half a million dollars a year for 20 years flying a judge around the world on lavish vacations while he has business before the court, like Citizens United, you know, like the repealing of Roe v. Wade, because that's a real bone that they always want to throw 
to the conservative movement because that's how you keep the rank and file in line. Guns and abortion, because they've been brainwashed with this sort of fascist view of Christianity that it's somehow the domain of white men to make decisions for everybody else in this country, right? You know, they, they throw them that bone and that's good enough for the good old boys in their pickup trucks, you know, and the racist grandpas in Kansas City and all the other idiots who are still watching Fox News and still going to church and thinking they're Christian, right? Not questioning why their preachers preach and hate, not questioning why they don't love all their neighbors, not questioning why they can't share what they have with others not questioning why kindness should be the overarching value of any belief system. If you don't have kindness, you don't have anything. It's not about I'm getting mine, screw you. That's a survival as of the fittest mentality. That's caveman level stuff. And I suspect that cavemen were much more emotionally and morally evolved than your modern day Republican. As a matter of fact, I would bet on it because the human instinct does not lend itself to what we're seeing displayed in these men and women. They're going against their own humanity to promulgate, I don't even know what the word, you know, perpetuate this insanity. They're going against their own best instincts. You know, children are, are generally born good, right? Children are kind, puppies are kind, you know, kittens are kind, bugs, any, you name it. Any kind of animal, usually, you know, a creature, it's born into this planet, it's born in sort of representing the love that it came from, right? That's why a baby's eyes have such wonder in it, right? Because they're so close to the consciousness of what we all come from that we can sense it in them. That's what we we call innocence, you know? That's what the lamb represents many times in, you know, theology and stuff, you know, the innocence, right? And, and protecting that innocence is something that every human spirit should value. And every society should have safeguards to ensure. And now you have a religion that says some kids aren't worth it. You can throw them in a cage. You know, you can lock them up. You can separate them from their parents, causing them a lifetime of trauma, wounds that will never heal. I had my mom locked up. You know, you don't get over it. You know, even if she deserved it, it's going to cause trauma. <laughs> and and the immigrants don't deserve it. They're just trying to better their kids' lives. They're just trying to get out of the hell that they were born into because their country was screwed up for the same capitalist intentions that I discussed at the top of the show. You know, we're the one who messed up all those countries that they're fleeing from in the first place. But they don't tell you that on Fox News, right? They don't tell you that in the Republican rhetoric because they don't want you to know history. That's what DeSantis is doing down in Florida. He's rewriting history because he wants a whole state full of really uneducated, stupid, cracker ass white people that don't even know which end is up, but they know a Bible and an American flag and a gun is somehow good and progressivism, you know, and saying the word gay is bad. You know, and I apologize for saying cracker. I meant to say au fait. <laughs> okay. I watched a doc on Louis Armstrong recently. He's one of my heroes in life. One of the great Americans ever, you know, invented more or less jazz in many ways, right? Quarter tones, you know, you can trace them back to, you know, Professor Longhair, Louis Armstrong, whatever you want to say, like, you know, that's the man right there, you know, Buddy Bolden. Whoever did it first, Louis was, you know, Louis was there, you know, and he brought it out to the world and the people. But Louis, in many ways, was the first podcaster, you know, and, and this was discovered decades ago. And I remember I was obsessed with jazz in the 90s and I would read all about Louis Armstrong. And when they first found all these tapes, you know, that his wife finally ended up sharing or whatever with the world that he kept at his house in Queens. It was amazing. The guy was recording every night like I am now talking into his microphone, into his tape recorder, talking about traveling the world, talking about his experiences. I'm not equating myself with Louis Armstrong. It's just, he was podcasting. He was meticulously documenting it and leaving it behind because he knew the work he did was important, right? And he knew his experience in America. He was at the vanguard, you know, being the color of his skin and the, the you know, the enormity of his talent and how those two things were constantly clashing into each other, 
You know, he couldn't eat in the restaurants and the supper clubs and the places that he played. He couldn't stay in the hotels that he was playing in the ballrooms. One of the greatest geniuses to ever pick up an instrument ever. You know, I mean, a guy who's akin to, you know, Mozart, right? You know, Louis Armstrong could hold his own with anybody in the history of the world. And he wasn't allowed to walk in through the front door, but he could entertain people. And he did it anyway, you know, even though he was obviously very bitter and angry about it. And he, you know, he had a, a very complex relationship, obviously, within the black community, because by the 60s, people weren't into that. They didn't want to see him holding the handkerchief and smiling and, you know what I mean, dancing, you know, you know, he he, he was sort of un, unfairly uh, marginalized within his own community because people resented it. And you could understand why, you know, and I, I can't speak on that, you know, but his talent is undeniable. And watch the documentary, Wynton Marsalis, one of the great educators and musicians of our time, uh, is in it and, and speaks eloquently on these issues. But the point I'm making is he would sit and document racism in this country. And you watch this and it feels like it hasn't changed. It's gone back in the other direction. But he would use, you know, he'd use the N word and he would use Ofe constantly, you know. So <laughs> I, I think we need to bring back Ofe. Uh because these are crackers, man. These are these are the same kind of guys that would be cracking a whip back in the day. I used to grow up and think, how could a people have done that? You know, when I would when I would learn about the exploitation, you know, uh, of people in this country, the enslavement of people, you think, how could you do that? How could you sit there and watch somebody else, you know, working their fingers to the bone? For nothing, you're keeping them captive and forcing them to do it. How could the humanity in you possibly abide that for a second? And then I look, and I was always like, how could you do that? And these days I'm like, oh, I see how it happened. That guy could do that. Tom Cotton could do that, no problem. Matt Gates could do that, no problem. Jim Jordan, you know, the list goes on and on, you know. Don Jr., Donald Trump, these guys will do that in a heartbeat, you know. So, so we have a disease, we have a disease and an epidemic of racism and intolerance. And, and a lot of people are making a lot of money off it. Fox News is the top of that list. They just paid over three quarters of a billion dollars rather than say they were sorry or go to trial on Monday, on a Tuesday, whenever they settled the case, right? They paid up because that's nothing. That's nothing for them. I mean, it's not nothing, but it's not going to change their lifestyle at all, right? And they're going to get a tax break because they're going to write off the settlement and then taxpayers are going to pay 200 million of that settlement. So we're subsidizing their lives on January 6th. Let that sink in. That's a fact, you know? That's how it works because you get too big to fail and nobody can really touch you. And you have so much money, you can't really ever be held accountable. And that's why people were excited about this case because they were like, will they be held accountable? You know, will Rupert Murdoch have to take the stand? Hell no. Rupert wasn't taking the stand. Rupert sent a text and said, cut a check. Done. You know, next order of business. I need a new wife. <laughs> That's how it works. It is like secession. You know, that's what our world has come to. And that's what that Clarence Thomas article laid out. Like when you see Leonard Leo, you know, and this other lawyer, Mark, I can't think of his last name. He was a Bush 41, 41 uh, lawyer. He, he helped find Clarence Thomas the first time. He's one of the guys who promotes all the George Soros anti-Semitism. He was there. I'm talking about the painting of the the picture when they were up at Top Ridge, which is a private resort in Adirondacks, in the Adirondacks that Harlan Crow owns. It's next to the Rockefellers' property. It's like what you see on Secession. You know, these big private resorts or billions. They had one of those on billions those guys would go to. You know, it's a thing if you're that wealthy. You just go to a private estate, you know, with a thousand acres and a big main lodge house and you can do whatever you want up there. And there's no cameras and nobody's going to be you know, getting in your business and listening to your calls and, and you decide which way this country is going to go. And that's what they were deciding in that moment. 
And that's why they had it documented and, and made a painting of it. You know, when you commission a painting, it's not just like, you know, oh, this was Tuesday in July. It was, this is when we rolled back Roe v. Wade. You know, this is when we rolled back Citizens United, which was my guess because they were smoking cigars, Harlan and Clarence. And they look like Cuban cigars to me. And I'll bet they were because <laughs> most billionaires don't smoke American cigars. Anyway, my point is that's where we're at, right? We're, we're at the point where a few billionaires are controlling the narrative in this country. And guys like Elon Musk are picking on the little guys. He created complete chaos on Twitter. Part of the reason, you know, my podcast hasn't come out. I told you I didn't want to speak on the shootings because it was too upsetting. But also, like, Twitter was too upsetting. You know, it wasn't just the funny banter and sharing information and, and kind of, you know, like dealing with serious stuff, but doing it in a lighthearted manner. It was clearly like it had taken a left turn into nefarious stuff. I hadn't been able to share this podcast. I can't share the links on there. He puts a warning on it. He did that the day he took over Twitter at the end of October, you know, so it, it takes down the numbers of people who rely on that stuff. I don't get paid anything for this podcast, but like if you're selling stuff and you're using Twitter to do that, he, he's messing with your marketplace. You know, and I, I get paid a little from Substack now. And if you want to support this, uh, you know, podcast, sign up for my Substack. It's 12 bucks a month. I put a lot of work into the articles. There's at least four of them a month. They're free otherwise. And it costs nothing to sign up for free. But if you want to support, that's how you do it. My point being, I know journalists who make their whole living off of Substack. You know, that's how they're feeding their kids. And sharing it on Twitter when you've built up a big following, as I've said before, it's a big part you know, uh, of your sort of economic portfolio. So to have a guy who's the world's richest man take that away because of his ego or because he wants to do a favor to the far right or Putin is just insane. And to continue on like business as usual is even more insane because sooner or later, you're going to have to find an alternative. It's not sustainable, right? Just like our dependence on fossil fuels is not sustainable as you see these freak storms. You know, what happened in Florida? Fort Lauderdale flooded. People are flooded in their homes. DeSantis was nowhere to be found. He was up in New Hampshire campaigning. He was up at the Federalist Society in D.C. last week, giving a speech in a private room, kissing ass. It was actually the other night. Washington Post did a great piece on it. You know, these guys are out there courting the power, not the people. That should tell you everything you know. It's not just for money to buy lawn signs anymore. It's kissing ass to who calls the shots, right? It's finding the guy who's gonna call the shots that's gonna put you in power. As I said before, when Trump was elected, when he was president elect in the days after, this is the days after October, you know, November, 2020, or uh, 16 rather, right? Leonard Leo walked into Trump Tower offices and handed Trump a short list, right? Like nine or 10 names and said, these are the names you get to pick. You can pick any of these guys for the Supreme Court. Right. Gorsuch was on that list. He's on the Supreme Court. Brett Kavanaugh was on that list. He's on the Supreme Court. What the hell? Amy Comey Barrett was on that list. And he threw her on there in the weeks before the next election, four years later, all handpicked by Leonard Leo, all there to do the billions, the billionaires bidding right on behalf of the federalist society and the heritage foundation and all these things that the Koch brothers fund and the leonard you know and the harlan crows fund and the leonard leo gets rich off of you know when leonard leo walked into trump's office he was a basically a middle class guy he had like a home in arlington was not like a baller now he's a baller he's got a big estate in maine where all the blue bloods hang out he's raised like a billion dollars for his own pack which is run out of a p.o box in georgetown on Wisconsin Avenue, like I'm not making this up. Like it's literally a mailbox, you know, at a mailboxes, et cetera, or something, et cetera. And that's the that's that's the like the the physical address for a company, you know, or for a pack that's getting billions of dollars, that's laundering money so you can buy judiciary members. And I'm you can the New Yorker did a great piece on this. Like you can do your own reading on this kind of stuff. This is where we're at, and, and that's a crisis. That's that's slow burning. Right. It, you know, you, you don't think of that. 
immediately at, at, with the same kind of way you think of the mass shootings and all this other stuff that's just clearly, you know, taking your attention and ripping your heart out every day. But these other things have massive, massive impacts, you know. And that's what we need to like pay attention to. You got, you got to follow the money and you got to see who they're buying and you got to hold them accountable. Because if you don't hold Clarence Thomas accountable now, Ginny Thomas has already gotten away with it, right? She was one of the organizers of January 6th. You know, she was sending out the tweets like, get on the bus, you know, it'll be here at seven o'clock on Tuesday, you know, get on, come fight for Trump. She was at the fucking rally. Sorry to curse. But what the hell was the Supreme Court's justice doing in the crowd? You know, when a guy who everybody on the planet knew legitimately lost the election was trying to rally up people to go attack the Capitol. What the hell was she doing standing there? And why is she not in front of Congress getting grilled as to every penny that she spent to help make that happen? Why? Too big to fail, too connected, too many politicians afraid to lift up the rug and see all the rats, you know, the roaches scatter, right? People are like, I'm not powerful enough to go after that one. You got to hope, you know, I don't think Marilyn Garland has the guts for it. You know, you got to hope Jack Smith does, you know, but I don't think so. I think that Trump will be enough and we'll have to be happy with that. You know, if we can just get him accounted, you know, held accountable. Right. So you may not get a Clarence Thomas held accountable. You certainly won't do anything about a Samuel Alito. You know, Justice Roberts, you know, the chief justice is is has the worst court in the history of America. Now, Americans have never had less faith in the Supreme Court than they do now in their judiciary. You know, we, we can't get any other circuit court judges appointed, right? Because of a whole other issue that I don't even really want to get into because it's too mind-blowing. But, you know, I'm looking at you, California. D Dianne Feinstein obviously needs to retire and give up her seat. You know, but she won't do that. And it's a prickly issue. And people think it's ageist or whatever. She's like 91, you know, or close enough. She can't go to work. You got to replace them. If you're going out on a rock tour and like somebody's sick, you have to replace that person. The show has to go on. When you have business before the American people, you know, and you have a president's term, which is four years, you don't have a minute to waste in four years. If you have an ambitious agenda, you need every waking hour that you're gonna be in office to have the best team you can possibly have working on your stuff and trying to get it passed, including your appointments to, to, to the judiciary. And Biden doesn't have that. He's been hamstrung for over a month since mid-February. They can't get anything done. You know, Dick Durbin can't find a solution because the Republicans are blocking it. They won't let a temporary replacement in for Dianne Feinstein. Steen, I'm probably saying it wrong. That's a nightmare scenario, you know, and, and, and it's a nightmare for the Democrats because we're so polite because we play nice and the other side are scumbags. Right. You probably saw Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday. Like you can't talk anymore. <laughs> like they shut her down because she called Mayorkas a liar. Right. A liar because she was trying to get a clip to play on Fox News. That's why I got so pissed off that they put her on 60 Minutes. You know, they knew what they were doing. CBS knew who they were putting on there. You know, what's her name who interviewed her? Leslie Stahl knew who she was going to interview when she hopped on the private corporate CBS jet at Teterboro, you know, and flew down to Meth Lab, Georgia and spent a day walking around, you know, some smelly Georgian town and then, you know, hightailed it back to Manhattan and got it in her booth at Bill Bouquet. It's cynical. <laughs> Georgia's a beautiful place, but you get my point. They know who these people are and there's money to be made. You know, and I don't want to digress on that too much, but it's sort of the theme of enabling the chaos agents, enabling the Fox Newses, you know, because that's what's keeping people stupid, right? Giving Marjorie Taylor Greene a platform on 60 Minutes is keeping America stupid because some people are going to watch it and see it's legit. You know, how do you know that grandpa in Kansas didn't watch that 60 Minutes that night? And, you know, have it further reinforced in her mind that the Republicans were the good guys and making sense, you know, and, and I wrote in this piece, I said, this is like you got an aging population. 
right? That's that's arming up by never like never before, right? There was over 13 million AR-15s in circulation right now. It's 25% of all gun sales are AR-15s. In 1990, it was 1.2% or maybe 2%. I have the facts. I can't find the thing. I was on a call with uh, Fred Gutenberg last night who knows this stuff. His daughter was killed in, in Parkland. But, you know, it, before the original assault weapons ban, it was a minor amount, right? You can't use them for hunting. You don't use them for sport or anything. They're only for like Rambo wannabes, okay? And, and they were, you know, one or 2% of all gun sales in 1990. Then you had the assault weapons ban that Clinton passed. It was repealed by George W. Bush. And now it's 25% of all gun sales with 13, over 13 million of them in circulation with 400 million guns total, you know, in a population that's like what, 330 million. So you have more guns than people in the United States. Now, here's what I fear. All these guns are being sold now to dudes my age, right? I'm 52. Okay, so middle-aged guys, I happen to know a lot of people that are kind of racist, <laughs> that own guns already, that watch Fox News. They just see it. You, you see it around New York, right? You can't even imagine what it's like in Alabama and Kentucky, but you know, I'll stay in my backyard. I can see it around my community enough to know that there's a lot of dudes my age with a lot of firepower. What happens in 20 or 30 years, you know, when we're 70 and 80? you know, and start to get dementia and all these other issues. What happens when all those guns in your home intersect with all that violence, you know, or fear of violence or toxicity, all that poison that's being pumped into you right now by Fox News and OAN and Donald Trump and MTG and Ron DeSantis and the rest of the grifters? What happens when your, you know, mottled, addled brain is in your later years and you got a machine gun in your house and somebody knocks on your door who's a home health care worker who's coming to help carry you to the toilet or something. You know what I mean? But you don't like the color of their skin. So you shoot first and ask questions later, you know, because you're mentally ill if you're buying one of those things anyway. Nobody buys an AR-15 who's got a clean mental health outlook. You just, you don't do it. You probably don't even buy a gun, to be honest with you, unless you're using it for shooting or you live on a ranch or something. You know, you buying a handgun, you're already taking a trip down crazy, crazy lane because you think I'm going to need this. Someone's going to kill me and I'm going to kill them first. You know, that's already crazy thinking. That's already a fearful way to go through the world. You don't have to go through the world that way. Trust me. I lived in Washington, D.C. at the height of the whole like kind of crack era violence when they called D.C. the murder capital of the United States, you know, 89 to about 92. I've seen people get shot. You know, there were shootings on my street. Like I had my bike stolen all the time. There was all kinds of craziness. I never for once thought I needed to go outside with a gun, you know, and I was in it in terms of what they fear, you know, on the news, the big cities, you know, don't even get me started on New York City. You know, I moved to New York in 1984. And we'd be running the streets, you know, 86, 85, 87. I'd come down from Westchester, be walking around Times Square. Like, it was crazy. You know, we'd drive into the Bronx. It was like the Wild West. And I still never thought I need a gut, right? So some jackass in an all-white suburb in Kansas City, some old man who's sitting there with his wife in a, you know, in a community that had no crime. He already had cameras on his house feels like he needs guns. And his grandson said there's guns everywhere. He had lockers full of them and cases full of them. There was, so that's what I fear. All these guys arming up, hoarding guns, hoarding ammunition, God knows what else, you know, hand grenades, and then losing their faculties. There's no good scenario for that, right? Because even if somebody in the family intervenes, what do you do with all the weapons, right? Then their crazy ass grandson, you know, gets a hold of one, takes it to school or something, you know, or some friends come over to play or, you know, it just there's no way it works out well for us. And, and, and I almost feel like people aren't talking about it, you know, because we're so in shock about what's happening in the moment, rightly so. Like we're already in the epidemic. We're already experiencing gun violence as an epidemic, you know, every day. We're already seeing headlines that sicken us every day. Right. But what is it going to be like in 20 or 30 years if we don't do something about it now? It's going to be crazy. It's you're going to be like, I'm not 
going to that person's house and knocking on their door. I don't want to be a UPS driver, you know? No, I see an American flag. I ain't pulling into that driveway. I'll drive to the next town. I'll find the highway, right? Because upstate New York, we know what happened. Saratoga County, at least Stephonics District. I just drove through there, you know, a year ago. All the time. My grandpa was just there three weeks ago. My grandfather lives outside of Albany. You know, I know where this guy lived. It's rural. You know, and he had a big driveway so people would get lost and they'd turn around in his driveway. It looked like a county road. It's dirt roads up there in a lot of those places. So a bunch of kids pull into his driveway on Saturday night because they're looking for a party at their friend's house and they find the wrong driveway. They turn around and the 65-year-old dude comes out and starts blasting with a shotgun into the car and kills a 20-year-old girl, you know? And if you saw the picture of her, it broke your heart. Just like you saw the picture of Ralph Yarl. These are angels. These are babies, man, with their whole lives ahead of them. The cheerleaders in Texas went and got in the wrong car after cheerleading practice in cheerleader uniforms, and a dude shoots them. You know, if two cheerleaders try to get in my car, I'm not thinking about shooting them. You know, I'm thinking, what the hell? <laughs> you know, I've been waiting for this my whole life. It's not even funny, but you get it, right? Like, what is even the guy who reacts to seeing two pretty girls in a cheerleader uniform? I better pull out my gun and shoot. Like, what kind of insanity is going on in people? And how culpable is the NRA and Fox News and Governor Abbott and the kind of people that promote this craziness? You know, they're exacerbating mental illness. They're exploiting mental illness to make a buck, to protect their profits. You know, and, and we're paying the price. We're paying the price with our lives, with our children's lives. Both of the, all three of those stories should make your skin crawl. You know, the New York one hits close to home because it sounds like the kind of dudes I know who have guns in Putnam Valley or whatever. You know, in the 80s where I grew up, that's how it was. People lived in like A-frame houses up on the side of a mountain with a private driveway, you know, like dudes who kind of wanted to be left alone or whatever. They're everywhere. But you didn't shoot if somebody like pulled into your driveway, you know. So the paranoia that is already there in American society with the anger, you know, that's been roiling for decades, you know, you, you pour guns on top of that. And opportunistic politicians that want to do anything they can to kiss ass for the NRA, you know, to get some checks and to get an approval rating, you have a serious problem that it's almost mind boggling to think about. It's like climate change, how nobody really wants to think about how bad it's going to get. Well, it's kind of getting there already, but you ain't seen nothing yet. You can apply that to gun violence if we don't stop this. You know, Showtime has did did a great series that I'd missed when it came out in 2018 on, on David Koresh and the Waco situation. And I just watched it last week, the first season. And it, it was amazing because I'd forgotten how much of that has to do with where we're at now. And this series does a great job of laying that out. And I just watched the first episode. Obviously, the producers, you know, figure that out, too, that it's it's all pretty uh pretty sort of like relevant for the moment so that they've they've started a season two and i watched the first episode last night and it's all post waco you know and the government screwed up in waco like koresh was obviously you know a pretty whacked out dude you know and shouldn't have been you know sleeping with his disciples but the people were living there voluntarily and they weren't you know they they didn't commit suicide the government went in there and you know attacked the building with you know with tanks and and poured tear gas and it caught on fire and they they killed a bunch of people and a bunch of kids and stuff the government did you know and and an already already marginalized you know sort of anti-government nazis neo-nazis all these freaks that were already sort of living up the woods they saw that and it poured fuel on the fire you know and exacerbated a situation and which led to you know the monster who blew up the Murrah building in, in Oklahoma and all these other kind of things, but it was a watershed sort of galvanizing moment. And, and if you look at it anecdotally, you can already like see how it, it already had, had cl has claimed so many lives and given us these kind of benchmark tragedies like the Oklahoma city bombing. Right. 
child's play. When you start, when you start to think about what Trump st- stirred up in people, right? What QAnon has stirred up in people and, and what the mainstreaming of that don't trust the FBI, don't trust the government, don't trust Dr. Fauci, you know, name your poison. They basically exploited those fissures, right? Because it's an easy delivery system, you know, to, to, to get in touch with somebody's anger in their psyche and their, their innate mistrust of government and then exploit it for your own good. That's what David Koresh is doing. That's what Trump did. You know, Trump wasn't an anti-immigrant guy. He's a racist. But, you know, Sam Numberg and Roger Stone told him to build a wall because he was forgetting to talk about immigration. And they knew that that was a key issue, you know, with the sort of like, you know, working class, ignorant voter that was already attracted to Trump in red states. Sorry to be insulting, but that's who was voting for him. Right. So the guys who were showing up at these rallies, they already thought, you know, a Mexican was coming to take their job, quote unquote wasn't the case. Reagan gave their job away 20 years before that, but they're too stupid to know that because they've been drinking Mountain Dew and watching Fox News for 20 years, right? They're not going to tell you that at NASCAR on Sunday, right? So they needed a story and Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg in between bumps came up with the build the wall, you know, idea. It was a a mnemonic device. I can't freaking talk today. You know, it was made to memorize it, to help them memorize it. M-N, you know, Mnemonic, mnemonic. It was invented to help him memorize that. He was, you know, you know who Trump is. He's sitting up in his, you know, penthouse at that point on Fifth Avenue. All Trump's thinking about is getting high, getting laid, screwing somebody over. You know, Trump. Trump's world is all very small. He wants music to play when he walks into the room. He wants to hit on chicks. You know, and he wants everybody to think he's worth something because he knows deep down he ain't worth shit. And he's always known that since he's a kid. You know, that's that's the core of Trump's psychology. And and, and that that is a dangerous set of psychological conditions when you get these big outsized egomaniac leaders. Right. DeSantis comes to mind. Hitler is probably history's great example. Right. Didn't get into art school. All of a sudden, you know, it was the Jews fault. So let me go after them. Bunch of sort of ignorant working class Germans had been kept down after World War One, you know, because the treaty was definitely sort of not in their favor, (laughs) you know. So they were right, you know ripe for the picking for a charismatic leader to come along and blame the other. And it's the most cynical, dangerous thing that any leader can do to a population. And we've seen its results, not just in the history of fascism, right? We see it in the cults, right? And and that's the playbook that Trump pulled from. You know, Harlan Crow, you know, as we know, the Clarence Thomas benefactor, you know, patron, whatever you want to call him, collected Nazi memorabilia. He collected the the statues of dictators, Ceausescu and all these guys. Why did he do that? Why does he have cocktail napkins with swastikas on them that are actual linen from, you know, the Nazi party? Because he's memorializing it. To them, that is the apex of, of elitists manipulating the massive masses and sort of trying to bend the world to their will. And, and that becomes in a damaged mind with too much power, that becomes like, you know, unavoidable. Like they they can't resist that temptation. And Trump was the perfect beast for that because he was so stupid, but so uh, sort of gifted as a con man in a way, right? Because say what you want about him. He's a clown. He knows he looks like a clown, all that kind of stuff. A certain demographic loves him. He's like a cartoon character and he's always been. You know, and it's the exact same demographic that he needed to pull away from Obama. You know, guys who worked in factories, who worked construction and stuff, who did vote for Obama, but he needed to pull them away. So he did it by, you know, I hate the immigrants and Hillary is bad and you might as well vote for me because, I, you know, I'd like to have a beer with you. I'm that kind of guy. You know, I'm a plain spoken guy. I'm going to talk like we're on WrestleMania, you know, and people loved it. They showed up at the rallies, they brought their kids, they bought the T-shirt, they pulled the lever, they made the biggest clown in the history of the United States president, you know, with an able assist of Putin behind the scenes and, you know, Jared Kushner, who walked away with $2 billion from the kingdom kingdom of Saudi Arabia after his time in office, right? 
same sort of theme I said at the beginning, right? What do you buy when you already have a bunch of, you know, super yachts and homes and stuff? You start buying judges. You start buying politicians. You start ensuring that you're always going to be able to hold on to that wealth because that wealth makes you feel like you're above the law. And why shouldn't you be? Why shouldn't you be a master of the universe that creates the laws, right? To borrow from, you know, what was the great Tom Wolfe novel? Uh, Bonfire of the Vanities, right? That that same, you know, corporate raider, Michael Milken kind of 80s mentality. You know, there's an arrogance that comes with, with easily accumulated wealth, right? When you when you get a sense of entitlement because what you've been given, you haven't fully earned and it's outsized in comparison with the others, you feel like you're better than the others around you, you know, and you're not, you know, conscientious people realize, hey, I got a lot. My job is to give away even more than others. You know, my job is to be of service and help as much as I can so I can at least enjoy what I have. That's how it used to be. There's nothing wrong with having wealth and enjoying your life, but you got to give some back and you got to have a little tact. You know, I love the old money, like, you know, have a nice place on the Cape and a boat and a little place in Nantucket or whatever, but keep it chill. You don't need a 500 foot, you know, super yacht. Jeff Bezos has the biggest yacht in the world, right? The guys, his employees sleep in cars and do their laundry and laundry mats and then go work 12 hour shifts where they can't even take a, key break and they can't unionize or they'll get fired. And this guy's buying the biggest yacht in the world and, and feels entitled to do that, feels entitled to not pay taxes, even though Amazon trucks are giant and they're going down your highways every day and putting big potholes in your infrastructure. And he's not paying a dime for it because he's too big to fail. And who's going to go after him? You know, he just got a big uh, New York turned him down for a, for a headquarters on the East Coast. So he built it in Northern Virginia and he got like a, you know, massive subsidy from the state. And now they're like, you know what? Actually, we're not going to build it right away. He took the money and he's screwing them over. Entitlement. And who's going to go up against him? Glenn Youngkin? <laughs> you know, you're going to have a Republican have the balls to go after him? You won't. I hope I'm making some sense here. You know, I haven't been on here in a while. I don't want to just like rant the whole time. I'm just trying to like give you a, you know, give you a glimpse of what's in my head and, and how we might be able to do something about it. Because obviously the gun violence epidemic is, is first and foremost. You have to deal with that. And then you have to see, you know, the powers that are preventing you from doing anything about it. And it's not because they want to see people getting shot. It's because they use that to manipulate the people they need to manipulate. They use the guns. They use the pro-life bullshit, right? To manipulate the red straight, you know, meat and potatoes Americans so they can continue to poison them. So they can continue to commit, you know, environmental atrocities and, and not look towards the future. We have to use renewable energies, right? Fossil fuels are a commodity, Meaning you dig it out of the ground and there's only so much. And when you run out of it, you have to go find somewhere else to dig. Now we're digging under oceans and under under the you know Arctic cap because you know there's still some in the Permian Basin, but you know, exploration, expanding your business, you know, the rapaciousness uh, of that industry is insati insatiable. Instead of saying, hey, we can do wind farms and we can do solar power. But the, you know, the money to be made off something like that is substantial, but it's going to be in, you know, it's going to come at a cost to the oil and gas industry and they know it and they want to protect that. And they protect that by controlling the government, by controlling the schools, right? Hillsdale College in, in, in Michigan, you know, that's the sort of the 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 cap in the feather of the conservative they call it classical education that's where ron DeSantis speaks they have a branch in dc jenny thomas was on the board you know that that that's where they want the sort of leadership level to come from in the conservative movement and it's basically you know white christian men are the rulers of everybody you know and, and the smartest people on the planet and we should just listen to, to what they say you know that's the conservative movement that's what's so well funded because they can keep an ideological hold and if they get guys like you know ted cruz or josh holly you know or lee stefanik these ivy league educated people you know to, to sort of 
not that these are smart people, but to go against their own educations and just dumb down their constituents. DeSantis being a great example of that guy went to Yale, went to Harvard Law, was a Navy JAG. He's not an idiot, but he wants everybody in Florida to be idiots. He's assuming your parents are stupid enough not to raise too much of a fuss if he takes all the books out of your classroom and doesn't teach the real history. Because if you know where you're coming from, you can't be fooled. Right. It's like Bob Marley would say they wouldn't want to teach the real history because then you're going to realize, shit, it's not fair. Let's change these rules to make it fair. I'm tired of it being unfair because unfairness gets you chaos. You never really get away with anything. You know, some people get to exploit the situation, but, you know, the greater good suffers and it never works out. You're always meeting yourself to bring it down into more spiritual terms. Like people think they're getting away with stuff in life. And it, obviously people like Trump and all these guys get away with stuff. But in the larger sense, in the spiritual sense, you don't get away with anything because what you're doing, you're doing to yourself. You're just not feeling it now in this lifetime, but it is going to catch up with you later. You know, everything does. All my regrets in life are just dumb stuff I did where I could have been more sensitive and I wasn't because I was acting out of my own pain and hurt. You know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. A, a, a lot of that, you know, when you get sober, you have all these, like, just all these things you did. And you're like, oh, my God, you know, and you write it down. You do a four step and you take an inventory and you're like, Jesus, I did this. I did that. And you tell another human being and you own it. You say you, you, you dig into it deep and you say, I did this because I was scared because I was insecure because this threatened my livelihood, you know, because I was acting out, you know, because I was selfish in my desires and my desires were running amok, you know, and I didn't have humility and I didn't have a sense of doing service for others and honesty. And that warps you as a person. And then you build up so much shame and so much guilt that you keep doing the bad shit because you can't face the truth. And in many ways, that's what we got where we got as a country, right? And one of the parties is like, don't ever look at the truth. Don't ever do the four step. You're fine the way you are, right? And the more advanced side that wants to heal, that admits, hey, this isn't a pretty picture, but we can own it. We didn't do it ourselves. It may have been done in our name. It may have been done by people that we were related to that looked like us, to people that didn't look like us, but we can all still come together as humans now and make it right and look at it. You can't make it right. I mean, you can never undo the evil done, but you can make sure it doesn't happen again. And if there's any legacy you need to live to, you know, leave to humanity, it's that. I know these headlines are brutal for everybody. You know, I can't even go on Twitter anymore. You know, the thing that just popped in my head that I saw today, I don't even want to mention, but it involved anti-Semitism, you know, being perpetrated on a child again. You know, we're, all the horrible things you've read about and heard about, like they all have the potential to happen here. You know, we're in a crucial time where we really have to like, take a stock of where we're, we are and figure out how we're going to stop this. You know, the history, you know, you don't want it to repeat itself, but it's full of examples, you know, and, and this is a time for, for, for great thinkers. You need smart men and women that are like, here's what happened. This is what we need to do. Forget about the grifters. Forget about the people that want to make a buck off your anger and, retweet me and follow my hashtag if you want to fight back. Half of that shit is BS, okay? You know, it, it gets the message out, but most of it is done by people just looking for their own clout and to make a buck off the situation, you know? It doesn't mean their heart isn't in the right place, but they're thinking about themselves more than the greater good. It, you know, doing the right thing doesn't have to involve money. You know, keep that in mind. There's ways you can act upon your kindness and, uh, change the world. You know, you can do it with all your actions. The environmental stuff, it's very easy to feel powerless over that. There's a million things you could do every day, you know, to start changing your habits. Little things, you know, when I use shampoo, if I put too much shampoo in my hand, I'm like, God, I wasted it. I should use less because it's less product. It's one less plastic bottle that I'm going to throw out as quickly. 
you know, all these little things. And the more you start doing the little things, they inform all the other things. You know, I figured that out when I, when I almost threw a, a tea bag into the trash. And then I was like, let me squeeze the tea bag harder, get the, you know, liquid out of it and then throw it in the trash. So it's lighter. So it's less mass in that trash that I'm putting in a black plastic bag that a truck is going to come tomorrow morning and haul away using fossil fuels to power it. Does that sound crazy? Sure. You know, are we talking about a fraction of a half an ounce or something? Probably, but it's the consciousness. It's the awareness of how all these things are related. And once you start doing things like that, it takes on a life of its own. And if everybody did that, if everybody sort of changed a couple of things every day to make this a better place, it would be miraculous. It would take on a life of its own so quickly that your head would spin. You know, that's the revolution we need of, of consciousness that turns into action, compassionate, you know, service towards this planet and towards all life and to just be kind to each other and loving to each other. You know, that's what we need right now. And, and, and that's where my head is at. So I don't want to go on much longer. I've been talking a lot and I didn't mean to rant at you, but uh, I'm glad you listened. I know people were bummed the podcast didn't come out for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll put one out again next week. I, I'll do my best to anyway. And, uh, you know, follow me on Substack. As I said, you sign up with an email. You got my website, noelcastler.com. I don't know what's going to happen to Twitter in the coming days, but, uh, you know, I think it's probably going to be a different place by next week. But my podcast will still be here. I'll be here. Thank you for listening. Enjoy, like, there's a lot of good TV. <laughs> if you need a distraction, the Jason Isbell documentary is fantastic on uh, on HBO. Really good. Uh, Sam Jones made it. He interviewed a couple friends of mine in the past. Um, there's a great David Johansson one that I just watched the other night. It's very good. New York Dolls. That would be my suggestion is like, you know, when you feel overwhelmed, connect with art or nature, you know, do yoga, you know, hang out with your pets, whatever you got to do, do it. You know, we'll get through this. It's all going to be all right. Thank you. That's episode 98, Noel Castler podcast. I'll see you next time. Peace.